In an average year, 270 people die by guns in Iowa. Here at Evidence for Change, we aim to do just that. Use evidence in order to reduce gun violence and save lives. Which brings me to our EFC Iowa representative, Chloe. So once again, thank you so much, Chloe, for being here today. I'll go ahead, start by introducing myself, and then I'll pass it over to you. So hi, everyone. My name is Leah. I am from San Diego, California, and my pronouns are she, her, hers. And go ahead, Chloe, take it away. Hi, I'm Chloe. I use she, her pronouns, and I am from literally the middle of nowhere, Iowa. <laughs> that is nice to hear. So just before we get started with our general questions, because I'm sure you guys are very excited to hear from Chloe, I'll just say, first of all, I am so glad to have you here today. Chloe is just an amazing activist, but also a good friend of mine. And we met from the SYI hosted by the Johns Hopkins Center for Gun Violence Prevention and Policy as of 2020, which is kind of insane because that's almost a year ago. It doesn't feel like it. But today, Chloe works with Students Demand Action and is a survivor of domestic violence involving a firearm herself. So Chloe, to start off the episode on kind of a light note, as, as you said earlier, from the middle of nowhere, Iowa. So can you elaborate a little bit on that and how it is living in the state of Iowa? Yeah, Iowa is essentially what everyone assumes it to be. It is a land of cornfields. Uh, <laughs> we do have a couple cities, don't, don't mind us. We got some hills too, so we're not all flat. Um, but it is, it's a really beautiful state. I love living here. And uh, it's it's insane. Sad part is winter. We you know the snow's not very great, but it's it's okay. We get through it, and you know we are the biggest corn producer in the United States, so we'll take that. That is nice to know, and it's good to hear that you seem like pretty knowledgeable about your state. So, just with that. What is your background as a gun violence prevention activist in um, living in Iowa? How is it um, being an activist for gun violence prevention in your community? Yeah, so I'm kind of this like weird little person in Iowa. I you know, live in a very, very Republican state, but obviously I am a gun violence prevention activist and that's kind of not really a thing here. Politics, we don't really talk about in the Midwest. It's kind of a taboo topic. Um, people just assume that everyone believes the same thing, which is mostly not safe. That is not the um, case. So I became an activist after everything became publicized after um, Parkland. I, you know, I was grown up, I've grown up um, with Sandy Hook and all of these mass shootings throughout my life. And I just knew in my heart that this wasn't okay. And my family was always like, oh, it's just how it is. Like, you know, my dad goes to the firing range all the time. It's just a thing here. Now, I'm not, I also love going to the firing range. I'm the kind of person that believes strongly in responsible gun ownership. Um, but as things became, and my cough is back. Give me just a second. As things became obvious that it was going to be, it's not the world that people have taught me, that everything's just uh, perfect, kind of, as I was growing up. And I started, you know, looking more into the news and these tragedies that happened because of firearms. 
I changed my opinions on these things and I became an activist and one of the only in Iowa. Well, first of all, that's amazing to hear, like how you actually took initiative and wanted to hear more about this. And like, not only did you educate yourself, but you grew from it. And um, I know you talked about how you are, earlier we mentioned how you're part of, or have worked with Student Demands Action. So what is your work and role um, with that organization in Iowa? Yeah, so my main role is as the virtual field office lead in Iowa, as well as I'm currently creating a Midwest virtual field office. And a virtual field office is kind of a way that everyone in the state, especially in these smaller states where we don't have, you know, little groups of people such as, you know, California, there's a lot of activists all throughout the state, but in Iowa and Alaska and Mississippi, there's not really that. And so we were trying to create something for those smaller um, states that are more red in order to bring more activism, especially within gun violence, because there is a lot of common sense ideals that almost everyone believes in, no matter if you're a gun owner or not, um, such as background checks and safe storage. These are just like things that everyone's like, oh yeah, that's a great idea, but it's just not mentioned. Um, so having these overall state things allows people to work over Zoom on um, a state project, and especially in things like Iowa, where our gun laws are declining and our state is really not doing well in the state of um, gun policy after everything has been repealed in this summer. But we're still able to work on this, even though there's very few of us. And in the Midwest, I'm able to help out in Mississippi and help out in Ohio even though I'm not there currently. First of all, that's amazing to hear that you're giving um, Midwest representation. And I know you mean about, because I'm from California, about <laughs> we have so many activists. So I'm very fortunate enough to have a very strong community, but I can see how being, as you said earlier, kind of like the only one, like the outlier in Iowa. I'm kind of curious, how is it, being that kind of outlier and how have you continued or to push forward and just be authentically yourself? Yeah, it is, it is high, it's really hard sometimes, especially, you know, going to school and stuff, wearing shirts with students around action, things like that. And people are like, oh, what's that for? You know, that typical Iowa nice, which is, it's true. People are very nice here. Um, and you tell them what that's for and they're like, oh, I don't believe in that. And you're just, it's, it's discouraging. And, you know, we're trying to po post events and things like that and people don't show up. And it's, it's really hard. But on my community throughout the entire nation, I'm so lucky that we are in this age where we have technology, we have Zoom, where we can, you know, one minute be on a Zoom call with everyone in Iowa and then another minute we're in DC and California and Oregon. And it's really easy to make connections all across the country. And that's really kept me going is because what's going on in Oregon, I can be a part of, even though it's not what's happening in Iowa is not that great. Yeah, and I can definitely relate, especially because we met through the Johns Hopkins SYI and we have an amazing community there. So is there um, or would you like to kind of touch on that and how that helped you or the Institute helped you meet this amazing community nationwide? Oh, my gosh. Yes. SYI gave me so much confidence in my ability to be an activist. I think 
before then I was super shy, especially not knowing anyone else who was like this. And then all of a sudden I get into this community and there's people from Kentucky and Ohio and everywhere else in the Midwest. And it's like, whoa, oh, there's people who believe in this and are really passionate about this outside of, you know, DC and California. And so it really gave me that confidence and then also gave me a lot of skills. The ability to talk about pure facts without emotion is insanely useful. I am I love speech writing. That's what I want to do when I, you know, get old. <laughs> but I most of my speeches are very emotionally charged. And in states like Iowa that have a very high gun ownership uh, rate, it's you can't really use that emotion. You gotta go straight for the facts because that's gonna work. Um, I've found that the emotion just, you know, people are like, oh, it's just a kid talking about emotions. Especially being a teenage girl, that's not gonna work. Especially with those, you know, 60, 70 year old old men, they're, they're not gonna listen to me if I'm talking about soft stories. But I'm saying things like, guns are the leading cause or the second leading cause of death in children and teens in Iowa that's when they start listening and that's when they start thinking about their own kids and their grandkids and that's when you can hit them with those sob stories so the training that I got in SYI to talk about evidence is so so useful that is great to hear, especially hearing how you're able to kind of find the balance between emotion and facts. And kind of my question is, how did you find that balance of like knowing when to use emotion in your speeches, um, whereas when to use facts and data? Um, it really just depends on your audience. That's kind of what I've gotten to. Um, and it's also, there. I don't think there's ever a balance. Like you just gotta kind of wean it. <laughs> Sometimes you get a, you have this whole speech written out and then you get on the stage, you look at your audience and it's all 50-year-old white men, you go, well, we're gonna rewrite this entire thing right now in the next five <laughs> seconds. And that's okay, it's completely acceptable. I've failed a lot. Um, I compete in speech competitions and that's really trained me a lot in reading my audience and giving the same speech over and over again, but changing it to make it better and better for what my purpose is right then. Um, but then when you go into an actual talking to people and trying to you know, change their minds, I use quotes around that because you're not really changing their minds, you're more enlightening them to um, the realities that we face. It's a, little, it's a lot different than judges grading you on your ability to say what. It's, you gotta, it's mostly about that audience and connecting with them you know, it's going to be a lot different talking to students. I gave a speech talking to students and I tried to empower them based on what we have growing up. You know, every single year of our life, there's been a major mass shooting with more than 10 people murdered. So that's something that hits hard because then we can think back on every single news story that we've ever seen, every single article that popped up on our phones that we just our hearts just sink and every single gen z member has that feeling we all know it so using that versus using it when you're talking to moms and talking about sending their kids to elementary school um and the safety and making sure that or talking to moms of teenagers and how safe storage is so important for teenagers because suicide is a very big issue in iowa 
Um, it is so, so important that we have safe storage in every single island home to protect teenagers and young adults from getting their hands on a firearm when they are depressed or anxious and they just don't see a way out. Suicide by gun is the most deadly form of suicide. And if we can take that out and take that factor out, it can bring so much more life to this world. Absolutely. And I, I know we've been kind of touching on this throughout the interview so far, but a lot about how um, your role as being a youth activist and youth voices. So I'm just like kind of out of curiosity, um, if any, um, what challenges have you faced as a youth activist and how did you overcome those challenges? I think the biggest one that almost every youth activist has faced is the no one's gonna listen to me because I'm just a teenager. That's, that's BS. Um, I will tell you, when you're on giving, I'm giving testimony to the Iowa um, Senate and they listen to teenagers more than anyone because they don't get to see teenagers. They don't get to see youth voices. We don't, the other big thing is people are like, oh, you can't vote. Why would you, why do you even have an opinion? Oh, these things still affect me. And it's taking that, it's hard to take that hate, especially when you're on social media. Uh, which is really where you get a lot of your support. You also have a lot and a lot of hate. And so you're the one in charge of deleting those comments. And it's really hard sometimes to get back and post something else the next day. I did a series where I posted every single day until the election and getting those comments and from people at school, other students that I go to school with and I've gone to school for 12 years with, putting hate on my feed was heartbreaking. And it was a lot of times that I just had to say, you know what, what they think doesn't matter. It's what is in my heart and that I know what I am doing is the right thing and that I'm going to make an impact in this world. So I just need to keep going. And sometimes it's just pushing through. That is the best thing I can do. Other times it's reaching out to a friend. I'm so, so grateful for this community that I have. Previously in Iowa, I really didn't have a lot of friends. But now that I have this national community, I can go to, you know, even text anyone and be like, I'm having a bad day. I have this comment. They can be like, you know what? That person sucks. And even just laugh about it. And it's one of the best things is really just having those other people who are really there for you. Yeah, that's amazing. And um, first of all, I I follow you on social media. So <laughs> for like I think that's amazing like how you you're just so authentic. Like you put yourself out there. You don't care what anyone else says cuz you know what you're saying is making an impact and making a difference. So I admire that a lot. And I know you mean especially I'm remembering from like the SY group chats just having <laughs> like conversations on like I can't believe this person said this and just all sharing our opinions and I think one thing that is great is that we don't we're all different people we don't always um agree with each other sometimes we disagree and I love how we have conversations whether it's on zoom or it's through our group chat and just talking just having that community there and I think that's great so that kind of brings me back to, I know earlier you are talking about your speeches, right? And I was kind of wondering, like, in your speeches, um, what are you usually talking about? I know this is kind of a broad question, but I'm just curious, like, what you're talking about in your speeches. 
Yeah, I do a lot based on gun violence. That's kind of, you know, what I do. So that's what um, most of my speeches are on. And I, the, the last couple of ones that I've given, um, I mostly talk about my own experiences. I don't go a lot into um, domestic violence and my experience in that just because that is the safety issue for myself. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at with that. But I love talking about um, just general things that every teenager can relate to, just like the you know, news articles popping up on our phones and things like that. Those are things that older Americans don't really understand. Um, and so bringing that to the public light is super important. I also really like to talk about my opinions and things like that. How I, you know, my parents own firearms and I'm okay with that. And how we, I'm a supporter of safe firearm ownership and things like that. But people are always like, what? I thought activists were always like, ban all the guns and all the things. I'm like, no, that's not what we believe in. It's dispelling those myths that are super important in speeches and also just connecting to people, bringing other activists into light. I love mentioning other people because if you can take someone who has a different experience than you, you know, I've given speeches in Iowa, I'm known in Iowa, but if someone else who maybe isn't so known, who has things to say, if I can bring that to light and not give them that spotlight for a little bit, that is something that's warmed my heart so much. That is great to hear. I, I love how you're like while you're not only educating others through your own experiences like you're also sharing other people's experiences as well so i think that's beautiful and this um this, i'm also kind of backtracking here but i know um earlier we mentioned role in students demand action and i think a lot of people are curious um you know like if you say hey i work for march for our lives or i work with students demand action like what exactly do you do there yeah um, mostly the students in action, I work a lot nationally on the national level. So it's a lot of organizing events for other people. Um, currently we're organizing events for um, Gun Sense University, which is our huge educational opportunity for other students and also adults to learn about um, the state of firearms in the United States and also how to become an activist and how to become a better activist. So we're currently organizing events for that, and I got put in the job of organizing a Spirit Week, which is so fun as a cheerleader. Um, I'm in love with this opportunity. And so I get to do things like host game nights and to have people from different states meet each other, and it's insane. Another thing we really, really am proud of is our efforts that we um, registered 100,000 new voters in the last election. Um, it was a team, I think there's about 20 students or so and some uh, moms, but we worked so hard and made hundreds and hundreds of thousands of phone calls and we registered 100,000 new voters. Um, it is insane to think of that those 100,000 voters may or may not have changed our election and our little role that we had within just dialing numbers on our phones and talking to people and maybe sometimes accidentally calling Disney World because that happened twice. Um, <laughs> it's like things like that that we get to say that we were a part of. Um, SDA gives you so many opportunities outside of just a little community which I think is one of the amazing things about these more national organizations 
and they have people that are hired their jobs are to look into gun laws and they really help you you know i don't have to do all the research on my own there's someone else that does that and they email me with like hey this is what's going on it's amazing i do not like reading congressional bills it is one of the worst things you ever have to do you ever get sent a 500 page document that is a new bill trying to go into the u.s congress you're like no is someone else getting to do that one of the best things ever it's just Having the resources, that kind of thing, I think is so, so worth it in those national organizations. First of all, that is amazing. Like the 100,000 new vote, that is insane. So congratulations to you guys on that. And this is, I know earlier you mentioned, um, you know, you're a cheerleader and how you're really into spirit. So I'm kind of like wondering, um, can you elaborate a little bit more on your experience as a cheerleader? Because I know a lot of people, when they think of activists, they don't usually associate it with cheerleaders. Yeah, being a cheerleader is, again, one of the best things that I've ever done aside from GVP. Um, it put it so much confidence in me. It's insane you know when you think of cheerleaders you think of them on the sidelines you know shaking pom-poms and doing things like that but in reality we're the one of the biggest things we do is stunting and holding your best friend's lives in your hands throwing them in the air and seeing how many times they flip it sounds insane but we do it and it is so fun and it gives you so much strength the idea that i can hold another person's lives in my hands and i do it every single day pretty much so I get to perform in front of thousands of people. We have a game upcoming that there's 10,000 people that are gonna be at. And I get to perform in front of all of them. And so that gives me so, so much confidence that then I can take into my GPP work, um, these experiences, and also the peppiness that I have in cheerleading is something insane in GPP. A lot of times gun violence prevention work is super, super sad. And it's reading stories and reading news articles that you just want to cry. Now I've been there, you know, writing speeches, it's one of the hardest things. I wrote a speech about um, the uh, anniversary of Sandy Hook and I had to read the obituaries of every single one of those kids. And that was heartbreaking. But then I go into the Zoom call and I'm like, okay, we're gonna be peppy cheerleader Chloe and we're gonna bring energy to GVP and bring happiness and that really, really brings a lot. Um, so yeah, being a cheerleader is amazing. If um, any little not eighth grade girls are out there or boys. Um, and yeah, really, we, guy cheerleaders are some of the best people, highly recommend. Um, <laughs> but if any eighth grades are out there who wanna you know, get into cheerleading, let me know, I'll, I'll hook you up. <laughs> that is amazing. Okay, I've never thought of cheerleading in that way of like how it could help you as in, in other realms of your life as well so i think that's so amazing how you're combining that like peppiness and happiness with um gvp so i applaud you on that and this is kind of I feel like one thing we've been talking a lot on here is kind of like stigmas and stereotypes. Like people have certain um, stereotypes and stigmas for um, people that are activists, just as they do for people that are cheerleaders. So my question is how have you kind of um, defied these stereotypes and how have you educated other people to look past these stereotypes? 
that the biggest stereotype that I had to face as a freshman was not being the skinny cheerleader. In those movies, you always see those stick thin girls, and that was heartbreaking. I never thought I was going to be one um, because, you know, I'm not skinny. But I joined the squad anyway, and you still got those looks. You're not, and I'm going to tell you, cheerleading is not like whatever it makes. It's not the popular girls, it's nothing like that. Um, but it's still, when you're at a game and the dad, you know, you have keep everyone comes out and you're scared because my first couple of games, I, you know, what am I gonna look like in that little skirt and that, in our uniform that is so small, but it's okay. And it was so hard to find that, and especially posting pictures of me in my uniform on social media, um, because how are people gonna respond to not me not being that traditional skinny cheerleader? And then when I got into activism, it was, I'm defying this stereotype of violence. Um, I'm leaving my, what everyone in my family is. And that is super scary for me. My family is super, super conservative. And so becoming a public activist for things like JVP on social media, having my name be public, I was so, so scared of how my family was going to react, especially my extended family. Um, and I'm going to tell you, it's going to be fine. It's... You know, they see my names and articles, we just don't talk about it. <laughs> and, and then um, also the idea of activism is everyone's like super, super far left or super, super far right. And that's not where people are. 90% of people are in the middle and they're willing to talk and they're willing to have a genuine human conversation without throwing hateful comments out there and especially in-person conversations are going to be way better than online ones um obviously that's really hard right now with miss corona around but um our conversations online tend to be very very heated especially on twitter i love twitter so much but i think that is it's just it's so hard there's so much name calling and just hate that you would never say in person on these social media platforms but when you are doing a voter registration drive, you know, at your school or whatever it is, or you're educating kindergarten parents on safe storage, like I've done before, um, they're pretty open to it. They're gonna wanna have a conversation. They're gonna ask questions. Um, maybe they'll say things like, well, you know, my, let's say my kindergartner is upstairs and my firearm is in the basement. I'm like, cool. Do they know how to use doorknobs? <laughs> I just, just honestly do they know how to use doorknobs because if so then they can get to it um so it's you know being an honest human and being willing to go into every conversation I think is one of the biggest things that you can defeat that activist stereotype of like being rude and just far 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 on the right or left that's great to hear. And thank you so much for being so open about this. I, I really appreciate it. So, you, you know, you touched on like having these human conversations and having these just like open um, conversations. So do you have any advice or tips on how to keep these types of conversations, both offline and online, a safe environment? Yeah, the first thing is your own safety matters more than anything else. Um, I remember when I was a like, young activist, I would get into conversations with people who I knew had different beliefs than I did, 
and they would start doing things like name calling um i had one guy who would only call me babe and i was like that's not okay and i would keep trying to conversate that's not the proper word but i'm gonna make it um and i would just keep trying to have this conversation but if it's making you uncomfortable you're okay to leave that is something that's so hard to think about especially as youth activists is our own safety and our own comfort comes before anything else um when we are we are all young and we have so much more life left to live so much more impact left to give that one little conversation is not going to really matter in what grand scheme of things so the biggest thing i can ever say is again always come open into conversation always go into conversation not with the intent to change someone's mind but with to gain information about their opinion so you never I, when I go into conversation with someone, I'm never going to want to talk about my own opinion. I want to know what they think, and I, when I listen to them, I'm not thinking about the response that I'm going to get. I'm thinking about what they are saying. You want to really focus on that person and how you can enhance their ideas, I guess. Um, going back to that like kindergarten mom who, you know, you know, I gave the joke about the doorknobs, uh, but thinking about okay so maybe you don't want to put a lock on your firearm that's okay i would advise against it but you know if that's not your opinion that's okay maybe let's put locks on your doorknobs doorknobs the basement put a lock on it or let's put um put your firearm in a safe or something that is still accessible to you because i know a lot of people have that fear of if i if my firearm is safely storage then how am i going to access it in an emergency, then okay, let's again put it in a locked room. That's easy to access, you know. Or they have those locks that have like the fingerprint sensors. I don't know how that even works, but put your thumb on it and boom, you have it. So there's always going to be ways around it. Um, and I think really only giving your opinion if they ask. Um, you're not going into these conversations trying to change people's minds, especially in elections times I think is the hardest thing is because when you're going to a conversation during an election time everyone thinks you're gonna be like I want you to vote for this person no you want to educate them on who the person is what their beliefs are and um, maybe what the candidate that they're leaning towards maybe what their beliefs are also maybe talking about what they believe and I think that's one of this the most important things is to just be open and honest and really just think about the other person and not yourself in those conversations. Absolutely. I don't think that could have been any like better said, but just with that, like you're talking about how listening to understand rather than like listening to responding mm-hmm. so i know that's something like listening is definitely something i want to work on as well and i'm sure a lot of other people are interested in working on so what is your advice for um listening and how how it can help impact or um, help a conversation overall yeah i think the biggest ones as you can tell in all of the things i said yeah in the, right as someone answered that and that's those five seconds I'm taking to think about what I'm saying. Instead of thinking about it as the person is asking the question, I'm thinking about it right after. 
and I use Yaz as a space filler. I should probably come up with a better one because I'm saying that every single time. Um, but it's my way of thinking afterwards and so that I can think of the person in the first place. The other thing is intense eye contact. It's kind of creepy, but it works. Because, and if you don't want to stare at their eyes, you can stare at their eyebrows or nose or something. Um, they'll never know. But making that eye contact with them allows them you to be more focused on them rather than yourself, especially if you're like, you know, staring down or um, things like that. I think messing with their hands or things like that. I do it all the time. I'm a very fidgety person, um, but I'm able to make that eye contact so that I'm not staring at what I'm doing in my hands or what I'm fidgeting with. Instead, I'm staring at the person and what they're saying so that I can focus on that. That is great to hear. And I especially love the tips on how you kind of have like kind of a little filler word, like, yeah, or I think what I use a lot is like, absolutely or indefinitely, or if I don't agree, I don't agree. So I think th those are great. And um, one thing that I know we touched on earlier was kind of how you bring this sort of sense of like positivity and hope within the realm of gun violence prevention, which can often be a very dark or depressing realm so kind of do you have any advice or tips on how you keep that positivity or that sense of hope um, within activism i think my first piece of advice is that it's not always going to be sunshine um there are times that it's just hard um but that's okay one of the things i do a lot is i took a week of my life and i decided i'm going to smile at every single stranger i see and that has just become a habit of smiling at everyone. And that makes other people happy and it makes you happy um, just to be constantly smiling. It's kind of the idea that you want to be 30 years old and have smile lines because you smile so much and you're happy so much. Um, that's my life motto is to be 30 and have smile lines, or at least my life goal, I guess. <laughs> um, but so keeping that positive energy is really like smiling, um, looking at the bright side of things. I know it's cheesy, but yeah, it works. Um, things like when these gun laws were coming out in Iowa, I just seen her appeal from Iowa. Um, it was really hard. I was so, so scared for what was happening in Iowa. Um, they just got released in, I think they, I believe they just became in effect in July 1st. Um, so essentially what happened is Governor Reynolds, which is our governor, repealed um, our laws that require background checks um, and which background checks within licensing and then also uh, licensing to carry any handguns. And that was super scary because that meant that anyone in Iowa could carry a firearm, whether or not they had training, no matter what background they had, if they were a criminal, if they were a domestic abuser, no matter what, they can have a firearm. And I always thought about, what if I walk into a grocery store and someone's there with a firearm? What, maybe they have the best of intent, maybe they don't, you never know. And you think that's so scary. You know, people bring their kids in the grocery stores or on the playgrounds, and it's terrifying. We always think about school shootings, but our schools honestly are super safe. It's one of the safest places for children. Um, the home and outside of the home is really where it is dangerous. So having that safe storage requirements and those background checks are were super important. And when our governor just repealed that, it was 
heartbreaking. But what I what I had to focus on was what I could do. And what I could do was give congressional testimony and raise an awareness of what is happening, talk to news reporters. Um, I gave a lot of quotes for articles and things like that, and just talking to people about what's going on. And although those efforts weren't successful in making those laws stop, it's okay because we're gonna do our best and you know, we have an election cycle coming around. It's in November and we will get there. Um, and we, I always think about this is, you know, when bad things happen in the state, I always think of, okay, we're gonna add this to the list of things to bring up in November. That's what I think about. That's what we're gonna do. It's okay, we're gonna move on, goes on the list of things to bring up during the election. And that's when we think about it. But for right now, we need to focus on what's happening and how we can address it. That honestly sounds like an amazing mindset. And I think it in fact is an amazing mindset of kind of knowing, I know especially as an activist myself as well, when we don't get things, you know, we don't get the outcome we wanted or we don't get the result we wanted, we can often feel really down about ourselves because activism goes far beyond you know, you as an individual, because you're you're being an activist for other people, of course. And I think with that, you just going back to how it was kind of a spiral effect for you of first getting involved with gun violence prevention activists, being a cheerleader. What was like that first step in activism you took in the, in that very beginning? My first step was a speech. I wrote a speech in my eighth grade year. Um, about gun violence and um, it was growing up in a gun violence generation and I gave it I think in my literacy class and I was so lucky that my literacy teacher at the time had her best friend was actually a leader for Moms Demand Action and she got me hooked up with that person and then they got me into Students Demand Action and I met you know all the leaders and students and it was insane that just one little speech got me so far and then I just kept going. And now I'm on the national scale and I you know, have my name in articles and it's insane to think about. And I'm so, so thankful that my eighth grade literacy teacher, I won't say her name because she probably doesn't want to be on social media, but uh, for listening to this, thank you. Okay. Big kudos, shout out to your to your eighth grade teacher. That is amazing. Like seeing how far that one speech has taken you. Because I think a lot of um, you know students or kids that hear about these issues, they're afraid to take that first step. You know I, that speech can be incredibly nerve wracking. Like a lot of people have issues with public speaking, or you know might have issues with their family and all, all those other challenges. So really applaud you for that once again and with that this is kind of to conclude our interview but my question is what is your advice for students in Iowa and like what actions do you think they can take to be involved with GVP um number one action DM me on Instagram I will get you hooked up um <laughs> or DM evidence for change will help you out um, or the Students Demand Iowa account. We also have that um, and I can help you out there. But it's just making those connections, talking to other people um, and really 
research. I think people always like, oh, it's just research. You know, you, you know, in high school, you always have to do all of these research papers. You hate it. But there's really easy websites. Um, Every Town, we have the Every Town Research Database, and it's super, super helpful. Um, it's called Every Stat, and you can just go to everystat.org, and we have a whole page on just everything in Iowa. What's going on? So it's really easy to do that research, especially with GDP, even though we don't have all of the research that we could, thank you to CDC, but um, we use the best of it. And I think that's one of the things with JHU, um, they have a lot of research there too. So going to those databases, um, there's a lot out there for you. And so knowing what you are passionate about, whether it's safe storage or um, prevention of mass shootings or um, de-arming schools or some, some of those things that you're interested in those specialties that's really really important and you can research on those and get informed and then get connections talk to people who have been in GBP longer than you and maybe then you'll be in there longer than they are. That is Great to hear, Chloe. Like, as you're talking, I'm literally writing down, like, every stat. Like, I will definitely be checking these out. And before we do our final conclusion, would you like to go ahead and plug in your Instagram account? Yeah. So my personal Instagram is wes.s.world. Um, and then the students in Iowa is, I think just students in Iowa. Maybe it's SBA Iowa. I'll look. I'll send it to you. Definitely will. Well, just thank you so much for joining us today, Chloe, as our EFC um, Iowa representative. You know, at the end of the day, we're all youth, and our goal is to ignite change within our communities, state, and together nationwide. Because one state at a time, we can and we will reduce gun violence in America. Thank you. <laughs>